0: and welcome to this special edition of Inside Briefing. This is to discuss the Cabinet Secretary, Mark Sedwell, leaving. I'm Bronwyn Maddox, and I'm gathered here today with two of my colleagues, Kath Haddon, our constitutional expert, and Alex Thomas, who leads our work on the civil service, to talk about what Sir Mark uh, stepping down means and what a cluster of other appointments and changes around the heart of government also mean. The announcement came out yesterday, Sunday evening, with exchange of supposedly cordial letters between Sedwell and Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister. Nothing to see here is the word from the Prime Minister, but losing or getting rid of the country's top civil servant in the middle of a pandemic suggests rather the opposite. There was that phrase now almost famous in Sedwell's letter, we have agreed that I will leave, or I will step down, which has uh, which, uh, been much quoted as uh, indicating his reluctance. Who might replace him? What does the government want from the ex-Cabinet Secretary? We're going to talk about all this. So, Kath, what do you reckon? Why why a Sunday and is it a big deal? Uh,
1: Yes, it's a big deal um, for the reasons that you said. Um, uh, To just start with the why a Sunday, I suspect there was a lot of heavy briefing at the back end of last week and then over the weekend, you know, rumours swirling around this. Uh, One has to wonder whether they sped up the process uh, in order to try and nip that in the bud uh, and perhaps to try and present this as a a more cordial departure than obviously we're assuming it actually was. Is it momentous? Yes. You've um, you've never had a cabinet secretary forced out of his position. And whether or not to some extent Mark was thinking about departing, whether or not, you know, in the end, he just thought enough is enough and how much it was his own choice in the end. Uh, this still does smack of him being forced out earlier than he would have done with coronavirus going on, uh, the G7 uh, presidency next year. You've got to assume that he would have thought he would at least be carrying on for the remainder of this calendar year. So that in itself is quite extraordinary. It's not the first time a senior person in that kind of position has been forced out of the civil service, but for a cabinet secretary in particular, it is.
0: Alex, you worked for Mark Sedwell's predecessor, the late Jeremy Hayward. Uh, Mark Sedwell took over in difficult circumstances, didn't he? Uh,
2: yes, he did. And it's um, certainly worth remembering through all of this that Cabinet Secretary is not a job that Mark uh, wanted, was not uh, what he saw as uh, the pinnacle of his ambition. Uh, I mean, many commentators have suggested he was, uh, you know, his, his, his foreign affairs experience, his security experience pointed him towards other ambassadorial uh, roles Uh, and I I think that is relevant now because it plays into uh, the question of how far he wanted to, was prepared to fight to stay in this job uh, and uh, how, uh, how far he was prepared to take up uh, to put up with the noises off that were that were coming uh, in in the newspapers, as as Kath was saying. Um, but the, the other point that, that where, where that's relevant is uh, he did take over in uh, you know very particular, very unusual circumstances. And as you've written, Bronwyn, that,
0: that, that was J- Jeremy Hayward being sa- sadly seriously ill. Yeah,
2: and, and Jeremy uh, retired uh, in autumn of uh, 2018, just before he uh, sadly died. Um, uh, Mark had already taken over as acting cabinet secretary uh, and. And uh, then was confirmed fairly shortly after that in the role by uh, Theresa May, uh, uh, who was, who was of course. Prime Minister. Then Um, uh, that uh, uh, you know that that unusual start meant that uh, Mark was sort of catapulted into this role. He was the only plausible candidate at the at the time who would have the confidence of of uh, Theresa May and the authority to uh, lead his colleagues and the civil service. Um, The the fact I think, and it's been it's been uh, well commented on that there wasn't a formal process then. That's not Mm -hmm. actually that unusual for cabinet secretaries, um, but it does mean that uh, that you start off on the back foot a little bit. The circumstances the Sort of the legend of Jeremy uh, Hayward um, uh, it was is is not an easy thing for, for you know anybody who would have succeeded uh, Jeremy to, uh, to to deal with. Um, but Mark uh, led the civil service and supported uh, two prime ministers through uh, tumultuous times: uh, Brexit, coronavirus, elections, constitutional crises. This, this has been uh, an action-packed couple of years. Uh, and it's clear that it's come to an end, not in the way that Mark would have wanted it, but ha- perhaps in a slightly more sort of uh, mutually recognised way than than some of the immediate press reporting.
0: Yeah. Do you think it's fair to say that the permanent secretaries or some of them um, were resentful that they hadn't got a chance at the top job. I mean, there's always going to be that pack of people who think, look, I could do that job better. Um, but it seems to me, and here I'm speaking for myself, not the uh, the, the two of you, that there was a rather unusual degree of, of sniping at him from the top ranks of the civil service, whether over his lack of uh, experience in the Treasury or uh, excessive experience in the, in the security domain or and the fact that he kept the national security... Uh, advisor job going at the, at, at the same time but it felt uncomfortable didn't it
2: the permanent secretaries can be a truculent bunch and uh these are senior people uh who all have their own ambitions and their own views and and uh, and sort of constituencies uh if you like i wouldn't overplay the kind of the sort of resentment uh lack of a uh lack of authority thing I, I i don't think anybody else uh could uh or would have stepped into the job uh in in the way that mark could at that uh, time i do think then of course when the going gets tough um it, it becomes an easier uh, stick to beat somebody with if, if if there were sort of unusual circumstances around their appointment and as you say it's very easy the, the vast majority of um, cabinet secretaries have come from an economic and, uh, and, and and all of them really have come from a, a, a in modern times have come from a, a domestic uh, policy uh, background mm. and so people could raise questions about the extent to which uh, mark was able to support number mm. 10 in fights with the treasury or whatever but i think i i, I wouldn't overplay that too much but maybe I would say that.
0: Kath, how much do you think it mattered to the Boris Johnson team that they had a a feeling of, uh, look, this is someone who worked very closely with Theresa May at the Home Office, Uh, we want our own person in there? Uh,
1: I mean, you always assume there's going to be an element of that um, in as much as, you know, if it's less that he was appointed as Cabinet Secretary by Theresa May and more just generally um, his closeness to Theresa May. But to be honest, no, I think Um, after Boris Johnson became Prime Minister. I mean, Prime Ministers are often quite grateful to a Cabinet Secretary in those circumstances because it's such a huge load to take on and having somebody there to take you through it really does make a difference. And actually... Although there'd been a lot of noises even before Boris Johnson took over about whether or not they'd want to keep Mark Sedwell in the post, um, you know, the word that was coming out in the immediate aftermath was that actually they were surprised at how, you know, welcoming and how good he was in what he was doing. I think the problems have crept up more and more, you know, at the beginning of this year, and then obviously with coronavirus happening, and perhaps also as the Prime Minister and his team. Uh, find their feet, they're starting to think more and more about what actually they want to do in terms of reshaping the centre, uh, about sort of modelling government in their image.
0: Well, that's a very good point, because obviously we've had this extraordinary circumstance of coronavirus descending on this government. But as as you said, there's there's also an element of, of a new government finding its mm. its, um, its feet, beginning to work out how the machine of, of government works and, and working out what it wants to do. And we heard at the same time... Um, Uh, comments from government, a big speech by Michael Gove uh, at the weekend about changes the the government wants to make to the very heart of the machine and how it works. What should we make of that?
2: Uh, The Interesting thing about what Michael Gove said over the weekend is that he came up with anything particularly new. I mean, these are these are prescriptions that the Institute for Government uh, and many others have been thinking about for a long time: getting civil servants out of London, civil servants with the right skills, reducing turnover. Was that he put it in a uh, in a kind of intellectual context, which is very Govian uh, and I, and I, I mean references kind
0: of to to um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt and Gramsci and so on. Yeah,
2: yeah, and 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 that's all very striking and 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 you know really really interesting. But he was he was able to kind of weave together an argument and elide some of the tensions that lie at the heart of you know a centralizing government that says it wants to um to shift power out of the center of whitehall uh, and he could kind of he he, could put, he put them all in an argument so i think the interesting thing for the uh the sort of policy wonks will be what is the speech and the plan that really comes out uh, mm. that we're, we're expecting to see from the civil service soon but gove gives it an intellectual coherence i think
0: Kath, is it, is it a coherent plan?
1: I don't think you could call it a plan at this stage. I mean, if you look back at the coalition government, it took them two years before they published something which was a, a sort of a structure for how you're going to go about civil service reform. And if you look back over the history of civil service reform, the how you go about it is just as important as where you're trying to end up because it's the reason why so many fall by the wayside. I think the other thing, though, that was quite interesting it was that, again something you really need when you're trying to do civil service reform it shows that senior ministers at the top of government are actually committed to civil service reform and that's really important if you're going to get it done Uh, we have to go back to sort of Francis Maud's time in office in from 2010 onwards to really see that commitment to it so that's very useful to to know Um, like Alex says it's quite useful to sort of see the way they're trying to frame this intellectually even though the prescriptions that they're offering aren't necessarily that new they are though very important. So if the government is actually committed to tackling it, then you know there's a lot of hope for the future.
0: So what's the doubt? Is it whether Boris Johnson himself is committed? Because what we know about what the Prime Minister is trying to do in the, uh, the next couple of months is is. Um, kind of get on top of coronavirus and then get back to his agenda, which is partly Brexit and partly levelling up the country, using coronavirus to say, okay, we're going to pour money into things. Well, let's pour it into the levelling up as well and other parts of the country that have been neglected and so on. And, you know, where, where, where we've heard him give... Um, uh, comments and he's about to give a big, a big speech. Uh, it's, it's been very much about this. Is he really bought into these deeply technocratic things of trying to change the civil service, the kind of the, the, the machinery of, of it all?
1: Yeah, he might not be himself, but the important thing is whether or not he's get, able to give space and time to people who are willing to see it through, and that's kind of the key thing. Um, if he takes them away from it, if he, you know, changes the personnel involved, if um, he, he obstructs it, then certainly that makes a difference. But I mean, there's a load of reasons why it could or could not be successful. But there's two sort of key issues you could think about right now. Uh, one is obviously the usual thing of do events distract? You know, this civil service reform is about sustained interest over a period of time It's extraordinary that right in the middle of a national crisis, we're talking about civil service reform. Uh, You know, for civil servants to have to do that whilst also dealing with COVID is going to be a huge task. And we haven't even talked about Brexit. The other key thing that they've got, which goes to the Sedwell question again, is taking the civil service with them. You can try and reform the civil service by pushing through changes. But ultimately, you want the service of people who are willing to work for you. We want good people to want to come into the civil service. So you need to think about taking the civil servants with you whilst
2: you're trying to reform them. I completely agree with what Kat said, particularly on the um, sustained political interest. I'll just add a couple of uh, thoughts. Uh, One is that this is a government that clearly sees um, uh, civil service reform as a means to an end. Mm. In order to achieve what they want to achieve on levelling up, on uh, 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 making the um, sort of political changes and on Brexit actually, they they see civil service reform as uh, a way of achieving that. It's almost sort of crucial uh, entry point. Uh, on 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 your question, Bromin about actually realizing this, I think there are uh, a couple of points in addition to to cast one about sustaining uh, attention. One is, as I suggested earlier, can the government resolve some of the internal contradictions on this and some of the internal tensions? Mm. Uh, will, are, are they really serious about uh, uh, um, shifting responsibility and power? And are they really serious about paying expert civil servants more will they follow through on that and and the second is uh can they make it tangible so it's very easy to talk about uh uh, to broad sweeping you know civil service reform covers a multitude of sins Mm. it's 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 quite straightforward to just you know list the things that need to be done but actually this is about real people in the real world sort of behaving differently and doing things differently and that's a that's that's a thousand specific interventions that, that you need to do if you want to make it a success.
0: Michael Gove went into quite a bit of detail in his speech and he, he attacked what he called the, the vacuous abstractions uh, that, that, was, that was sometimes threw at him and, and came up with lots and lots of stuff about more skills, particularly in statistics, more more ways of quantifying performance. And there's one reason for thinking that they really mean this, or at least that Michael Gove and Dominic Cummings really mean this, because if you think to the weeks after the election, um, and this enormous majority, suddenly Dominic, Dominic Cummings puts out a blog in the middle of this, has everyone talking over Christmas about civil service reform, which is an extraordinary thing, uh, a joy to the Institute for Government, but, um, but rather unexpected that particular moment on the other hand, there is you know, a know, to all this, which says, look, they don't really mean, for all uh, Michael Gove's big intellectual concepts of this, they don't really mean it. What, if you judge them by their actions so far, what they really mean is putting in a big handful of their own people, um, very political people, very, very much attuned to the government's priorities of Brexit and so on, putting these into key posts. And that's all they're really intending to do. What would you say to that?
1: That is a huge danger in all of this thus far in terms of things on the ground that they're doing. um, Most of the changes have been piecemeal. They've been picking fights that you didn't need to have. And they've not necessarily been in keeping with the direction of travel that Michael Gove set out at the weekend, particularly this, you know, this idea. And Dominic Cummings has said the same thing about diversity of thinking diversity of skills diversity of perspectives the need to have challenge in the system all these kinds of things that isn't then backed up when what everyone can see is that your core group around the prime minister are getting smaller and smaller and much more attuned you know people who are attuned to the prime minister's ways of thinking or or those um, sort of closely around him. What are some examples of that? Well I mean the appointment of David Frost is is a you know possibly a very good example of
0: that. So he's, he's the chief negotiator on Brexit. He's very much committed to the government's view on Brexit. Um... And now he's going to be national security advisor as well. The prime minister obviously
1: likes him, gets on well with him, respects his opinion. And perhaps he is the right person to be national security advisor, but he's not taking up the post till August. So there's absolutely no reason why you couldn't have held a competition and just seen who else is out there, explored the role, thought about what you actually want from it, what you want to do with it. But instead they did, they wanted to get him in their ASAP or at least make the announcement ASAP. Um, so that, I mean, that begs a lot of questions about what it was that you were trying to achieve with with making that announcement this weekend um, and whether it is about that getting diversity into the system
2: one little uh, counter argument on all of uh, this is you look at the permanent secretary appointments that uh, this government has made so far and they've been startling startlingly conventional um Matthew Rycroft at uh, the Home Office uh, Karen Pierce which is a permanent level secretary level appointment in Washington um you know there've been a number of uh, actually very sort of classic traditional uh, civil service appointments which is why the uh, the, the cabinet secretary appointment is going to be really really interesting not just the fact they've uh, they've announced they're going to do it by process. They've said it will be uh, uh, drawn from current or former permanent secretaries. So the, the, the Mandarins haven't quite uh, uh, lost, their, lost, lost their sway yet.
0: Well, on the other hand, there's others, uh, example of Gisela Stewart as a non-executive director, uh, prominent um, pro-Brexit, uh, mm. Brexiteer, uh, former former MP and others. So who is in the running for cabinet secretary?
2: I know. There, there's the question. Uh, I think it, it divides into those who've uh, left government, uh, but were uh, uh, permanent secretaries. A lot of people talk about um, Sharon White, who's now at uh, John Lewis, and was at Ofcom. Melanie Dawes, who is now uh, at at Ofcom. Minoo Shafiq, who's at, uh, used to be the permanent secretary at DfID and is now at LSE, um, uh, and uh, you know any any number of uh, 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 sort of former. I say any number actually I mean it's a relatively small field which is why you could list the names uh, and, then, and then there are internal candidates like uh, Stephen Lovegrove who's at the Ministry of Defence, Matthew Rycroft um, uh, at at um, uh, the, the Home Office.
0: And what does this new person whoever he or she is uh, have to do? What's um, There's going to be rather a lot on the desk isn't there?
1: Yeah well we suspect the first thing is going to be the focus on the centre and how it's operating and um, you know, there, you, as Alex says, you don't often have a process when it comes to appointing cabinet secretary. Sometimes it's just an interview with the prime minister. This time round, they will go through um, expressions of interest, sort of making a pitch, having an interview with the outgoing cabinet secretary and the civil service commissioner, who's the person who oversees all of this, and then eventually the shortlist, having an interview with the prime minister. But I suspect as part of all of that, they will make their pitches for how they would organise the cabinet office the centre of government how they think that things need to be shifted because we've seen quite a bit
0: just just one small point just spell out yeah. for us what what the centre of government actually is because it's one of the one of these almost magical sounding uh words but where you know where is it number it 10, is it's a good office, point so it,
1: mostly we're talking about number 10 and the cabinet office sometimes when people refer to the centre of government they're also talking about the treasury because they are such a um, an important department, and also they have a relationship with all other departments. They're a pivot point there. Um, but in terms of what the prime minister is concerned about, it's, it's a combination of number 10 and the cabinet's office. So it's those parts which engage with all other departments, which are
0: about how um, you know, government cabinet government comes together. And this is something that any government has to organise for itself, isn't it? What kind of committees it's going to have, who it's going to have um, and different things. And so, you know, perhaps it was unlucky that coronavirus came right when it did before the government had had a few months to chew over how it was going to run itself.
2: Yeah, and it 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 feels very dramatic at the moment. Um, but actually, it's worth remembering that most governments do make changes to Number Ten and uh, the Cabinet Office when they come in, and and actually that often happens a year or two into the government once they've worked out what they wanted to do. Blair created delivery units. Cameron abolished. Uh, the delivery unit and um, then uh, rebuilt uh, something like it in an implementation unit uh, get, f- finding the right personnel and the right structure for them to to work in um, will always take a little bit of time and um, well this has been there' been more fireworks associated with this one than, than previously and it, it it speaks to what what Kath was saying right at the, right at the beginning but it's not unusual to take a bit of time to to settle down and to reform the center when you come in
0: so just to wrap this all up I mean where do you put this between revolution or Business as usual.
1: I think Alex is right that there are definitely a lot more fireworks, but uh, none of this is entirely new territory for a government.
2: And I think it's uh, for the civil service; it's on the revolutionary end, but that uh, you know, but that's that's uh, already adds a note of caution in. Uh, and I think we are seeing, um, uh, you know, we're seeing some quite determined political leaders with their ministers or, or or advisors who want to want to get things done i suppose my final uh, sort of uh, plea is it's it's easy to uh, uh break institutions and it's hard to build them uh and it's even harder to reform them so uh, i hope this sits in the in the reform space not in the uh, breaking space but certainly not just in the uh, the carry on business as usual
0: well, and just picking that up as a final point, then, um, where would you put this? On that, you know, on the one hand, people are saying this is politicisation of appointments of, of, of jobs that have been really carried out by impartial civil servants. On the other hand, people are saying, look, this is simply uh, represents the right, in fact, need of any government to get the people it thinks are best in any in any post.
2: It, it is too early to know for sure, but it feels to me like it's it's a careful balance. And it's not uh, it's it's not a sort of complete tearing down. I don't think we need to yet be uh, you know deeply worried about politicisation. An example of that would be we were talking about David Frost. Um, the, uh, you know, as I understand it, the heads of the agencies are not going to report into him as a special advisor. The, um, the National Security Secretariat uh, uh, will dock into the Cabinet Office rather than him as a special advisor. So the, uh, the, the sort of checks and balances that happen within the system uh, still seem to be there to me at the moment, but it's worth keeping a close eye on it.
0: Okay, just last, last point, because you slipped in that, that tantalising technical detail there, and just to spell out for people, does that mean that the, the the job of National Security Advisor is actually being downgraded a bit?
2: I think it does feel like that. We don't know this yet, because we haven't seen the announcements, but um, Kath put it well in a Twitter thread uh, uh, earlier, which is the consequence of um, appointing somebody political to this role, if you're not going to let them manage civil servants, is that they have less executive power. So the National Security Advisor is becoming probably more of an advisor, a genuine advisor, rather than that sort of powerful executive figure that Mark Sedwell was, for example, when he was NSA, even before he was Cabinet Secretary.
0: Alex, thank you. Out of such details, we spin our days and nights (laughs) at the moment. That's going to be it for today, but thanks very much to Kath and Alex for joining me in this, and we're going to be back for Inside Briefing on Thursday. Who knows what will have changed by then, or what other emergency podcasts we may have done by then, but let's assume none at the moment. Do check out all our audio events on our sister podcast, IFG Live, which you can find on Acast, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, including my discussion with the new German ambassador uh, today. Mark Sedwell may be going, but this story and how this government wants to reshape right all isn't going away season.